this episode is brought to you by beautiful early spring days. Time to put away those winter coats and grab your allergy meds. Welcome back, everybody, to My Fave Career Chemist. I'm your host, Beck. And I'm her, although we're thrilled to share this episode with y'all because it really highlights topics we haven't touched on the show yet. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did recording it. With that, here's our show. So hello, everybody. Today, we are very, very excited to introduce you to a a truly amazing scientist. Could you please introduce yourself? (laughs) Hi, Araldo. Hi, Beck. And hi, everyone. Um, Thank you for this invitation. Um, I've been looking forward to it. I'm Christian, Christian Malte. I go with um, he, him, his. I'm originally from the Philippines. That's where I grew up. And that's where I studied chemistry. So... I guess many doesn't know, but I went to college as um, a bachelor's of arts, uh, major in painting, um, because that's what I was good at. <laughs> oh, that's so um, cool, I didn't know that. <laughs> until I think my my gen camp teachers, you know, both lecture and laboratory who convinced me to do chemistry, I think there's, they just believe in something in me that they saw, you know, mm-hmm. and I switched to chemistry in just a week or two. So I did my bachelor's in chemistry um, in the Philippines, in Manila, Firestone University, as well as my master's degree um, in Ateneo de Manila University, also in Manila. And from there, I moved to the, to the U.S., um, University of Connecticut for my PhD. I work primarily with organic um, synthesis, a lot of it are transition metal catalyzed transformations um, with Professor Amy Howell. And then after that, I did um, postdoctoral studies actually twice. Um, First at University of Michigan with Melanie Sanford where I worked mostly on organometallic chemistry and catalysis. And then very recently at University of Utah um, through the NSF Center for Synthetic Organic Electrochemistry, um, working on electrocatalysis. Um, am I missing something? So um, current position, I am currently an assistant professor um, officially two months ago um, at uh, Congrats. Northwestern <laughs> University. Thank you. Thank you. And our group is basically trying to integrate some sort of my expertise, you know, in organic synthesis, um, organometallic chemistry and electrocatalysis in order to address some challenges associated with um, organic synthesis in general, either for complex molecules um, with potential applications for agrochemistry and medicinal chemistry, also for small molecule activation with relevance on energy research, um, as well as in energy storage type of chemistry. So. Yeah, that's all. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. we're really <laughs> well, excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, congrats on, on um, making it two months into um, your assistant professorship professorship at Northwestern. That's really exciting. Thank you. Thanks so much. kind of so kind of starting off um, at the beginning of your journey, um, as you mentioned, you did your undergraduate and master's studies in the Philippines. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with chemistry through these different institutions and um, how you felt supported as an LGBTQ person during this time? Yeah, I guess I've mentioned briefly earlier that you know I switched from um, major in painting to chemistry. Um, And it was actually on my sophomore um, chemistry where I fell in love really with organic chemistry to be specific. And that's when I knew somehow that, you know, chemistry is where I belong, you know, this is something I wanted to do. And then, so when I graduated with bachelor's degree, um, all of my professors back in undergraduate 
convinced me that you need to do graduate school, you know, and during that time, the most common pathway is to go to masters, um, usually in the Philippines as well, because it's not really easy for us to penetrate outside the United States, uh, sorry, the Philippines, especially coming to the US or European um, for graduate school. So usually we need to take at least a master's degree or some master's credits. With respect to support for LGBTQ um, as a student during that time, um, there was none, honestly, because um, I am not aware of any organization that existed during my undergraduate or my master's degree in the university. Although you would find friends, right? Um, because it was in Manila. And so the population of um, LGBTQ community there is very large, I would say but not much in, as a chemist, no support much in the university. Um, but it was really easy to find friends, you know, because you share the same culture. And I guess, <laughs> because in the Philippines, um, we don't really have some sort of law that we are fighting for, you know? So we're only fighting for some sort of respect. And that's all really just, if people would respect you or you have friends that respect you, whether they're members of the community or not, um, I think to us, that's enough. Interesting. I, 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 interesting that thing that you brought up that usually if you want to, you know, go to the uh, graduate school, you have first to do a master's in order to be able to do a, a PhD. That's a very interesting perspective to bring up. Yeah. It's not a requirement. I've I've known some who did not need to. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they are really like the most outstanding, you know, <laughs> undergraduates or sometimes because the challenge really is you have to apply and pay for the application fund, right? And we couldn't yeah, and it's expensive. That, right? Yeah. It was expensive, so we couldn't really afford. Mm-hmm. Um so the easiest pathway is to have some master's or master's degree. Um, right. That's our easiest ticket to get in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then going along with your journey, you mentioned briefly that then you moved to the U.S. to pursue your PhD at University of Connecticut with Professor Amy Howell. So you know, I've, and this is very related to the topic. I don't think we've talked much about being an uh, international graduate student. So can you please like talk about your experience being an international graduate student? You know, in this graduate program, and you know how your experience was during during that time. Yeah, I think I just wanted to connect with the topic earlier. You know, like. Mm-hmm how we applied to graduate school being someone from the Philippines. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I only applied to UConn um, for PhD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were sure that you wanted to go to UConn? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, we are really limited um, with respect to, you know, um, money, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah, really definitely. The, the limitation. Um, and during that time, I couldn't afford. So mm-hmm. um, I was drawn to applying to a different university during that time because there was, I think, the department chair of that chemistry department came to our university and he said some sort of like, um, we will waive your application fee and things like that, you know? And so I said, okay, I'm going to apply there. <laughs> <laughs> because everything would be free, including all like the exams, because we need to take some sort of language exams. Um, mm-hmm. But um, someone told me that, oh, you should go try at UConn. Um, I know a faculty member there and um, they reached out to me. I was interviewed actually by phone call, so I don't have to take the language exam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the professor just attested that, okay, he can speak English very well. Um, and that professor paid for my application fees. <laughs> um, wow, that's really so nice. I think that's how things ended up, um, you know? Um, so that's, I would say, well, I was lucky there, but um, I believe that that's one limitation that we have as international students, especially if you're coming from a third world country, right? Um, right. Um, but as an international student here in the US, um, at first when 
I think when I arrived at Yukon when I was new, I thought that I have the advantage over <laughs> domestic students, right? Because the advantage that I would see is like, okay, I have some master's degree, um, but the greatest advantage that I thought would be like, I have experience very different to that, you know? Like I've been to a different culture and, you know, and so I think that I would be so much more excited, which I believe it's also still true, right? But challenge-wise, I started to see um, difficulties with, let's say, fellowships, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not eligible or we are not eligible to apply pretty much to all fellowships um even though you've been an acs member for i don't know 10 years right mm -hmm. <laughs> you're still not eligible for a travel award or something like that i was never eligible to something nih related um or acs or nsf related fellowships um there are also some events usually that would only allow let's say professional development um not only for under for grad students but also for postdocs that's only somehow limited, you know, to domestic students. So that was quite of a limitation for my case. I had difficulty with the culture. At first, I thought that, you know, because in the Philippines, we watch um, um, American movies. So I was like, oh, we have very similar kind of, you know, because I felt like, you know, I watch the same movies as them. You know, I, I, I listen to the same songs and things like that. But there were a lot of culture shock, actually. <laughs> and I think the very first culture shock was, which was not a challenge, right? Um, when you meet someone, like usually an American student, they would say, hi, how are you doing? Right? Um, and I would answer it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a paragraph. <laughs> like, not just like, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, yes, I'm doing yeah. fine. Like, I'm doing well. And then I would like, oh, and then he just said, okay. Like, or hi. Yeah. Or, and then left. It was like, oh. So at first I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> that still happens to me. That's like, yeah, yeah, if I see someone in the hallway and they say, like, hey, what's up? And then I start talking to them. It's like, they don't mean to start talking. They just want to, you know, acknowledge you and then continue walking. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to realize that, that, oh, this is actually very normal, you know? So at first I kind of judged this student, like whoever he was during that time, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's like not so nice. Mm -hmm. um, and then it became normal. Um, there are a lot of culture shocks aside from that but I think that was like the funniest one to share. Yeah. Um, I had difficulty finding an apartment actually when I was new at UConn, not because there's limited, but, and I think it was, there was one experience. The landlord asked me if I am gay. Mm -hmm. So we met actually in person and then he gave me a tour of the place and everything. And, and I said, yes, he said, yes. And then by text message, he asked me like, like, I just wanted to ask this question and something like that. I don't know. It was a nice question, actually, like the way he asked it. Um, and so I said, yes, right? And then on the same day or the next day, he just sent me a text message that, oh, the, the place is already taken or something like that. So I was like, you know? What? So, so that was kind of heartbreaking that I never really shared with like a lot of people during that time because I was just like, oh, that's not so nice, you know? Um, but when I was like thinking about, you know, this invitation of like an experience of an international student or maybe an LGBTQ member in general, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was culturally shocked because even though in the Philippines, we are not very friendly with LGBTQ, we don't do that, you know? We yeah. just tend to be so much more respectful regardless of. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a challenge. Aside from those, I think um, I've been very much welcomed in the group that I've joined, the Howell Lab, which I think it's something really important, right, for graduate students to consider. 
I think these are the times when students are deciding to which universities yeah. they want to join, which lab they will be joining very soon, right? It's very important to get to know the lab you wanted to be part of, and more importantly, the, the advisor, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think um, we are not really looking for the best mentor, but we're looking for the person that is perfectly fit for us, right? Because I think every individual would have different kind of needs. And I think it was a perfect match between you know me and my advisor, Amy Howell, um, during that time. As an international student, I struggled with family kind of um, challenges, right? Because I did not have my family here with me. I had my sister. Um, she now lives in California. So she's the only one that I would be able to see. But traveling to the Philippines was quite difficult. You know, um, it's expensive too. And you need to at least spend a longer time, right? And we don't really have that luxury usually as a graduate student. Um, and I also had some sort of uh, an issue of like, uh, what if there's a problem with my visa, there's a problem with our passport that you cannot go back, you know, so there's kind of challenges there. Also, yeah, getting those documents is a challenge. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm probably going to tell you one story later on um, regarding about um, how my visa was kind of, it took a while to arrive. That was during my postdoc. And I'm, I think I'm going to share you that challenge later. On. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? about support for graduate students as being an LGBTQ community. Um, it does not exist where the town is. It does not exist the university is. But I was blessed to be a part of a group that was very welcoming, um, be with a mentor who, who was just not a mentor, but, you know, a mother to me. Uh, That's nice. That's so good. It's good that you had such, like, an incredible graduate program, like, group that you were welcomed into. Um, I think, well, I just want to say thank you for like sharing with us kind of like some of the like struggles that you had during graduate school. I think like it's something that we as like, you know, domestic like American graduate students don't really like think too much about all the time, like kind of um, the difficulties that come with with being an international student um, Thanks, in, in the um, graduate graduate programs in the U.S. So um, I think that's like a really great and important um, perspective to get from you. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, I just remembered something. Um, making friends was actually not easy, even though mm. even though I tried so hard to be friendly. Um, <laughs> I always just ended up being friends with my Filipino friends back there, you know. Mm. Um, I think it's all because of the culture. Um, even though how friendly or how sociable you are, there's always that difference in culture that people misjudge you with the actions that you took or misjudge you with. Um, because in the Philippines, we tend to be so respectful that the people that I've met usually here in the US would judge it as it's a microaggression, right? Um, but in the Philippines, if we don't do that, it's, it's like a sin, right? <laughs> if you don't show that kind of respect. So, um, and we also have like, um, how do you call this one? like jokes or um, sense of humor is just very mm -hmm. different so it was really hard for me to adjust um, yeah I can I can only imagine but I mean yeah just yeah. the the barriers um in kind of especially like, if you're trying so hard you know yeah. <laughs> so hard to be friendly so I guess kind of moving along um after graduate school you like you mentioned decided to go and do um, a postdoctoral fellowship first in um, Melanie Sanford's lab, the University of Michigan, and then at Utah. So kind of, I guess, going along with your experiences as an international student, like how was that process of kind of applying to postdocs, 
getting a postdoctoral like fellowship. Um, and then of course we, we want to hear a little bit about how your time at the University of Michigan was, obviously, since we're quite fond of it as, as a place. But yeah, so kind of talking about your experiences, applying, getting the job, you know. Um, okay, I'll start with moving to postdoctoral work with Melanie. I think this is where I, it's really hard to answer this because I think I was blessed. Some people would say I was lucky, right? Um, but I think I've worked so hard for it, right? Um, I, when I was second year as a grad student, I already knew what I want. I wanted to become, right? I wanted to become an assistant professor. <laughs> and I was very vocal about that with my PI. And she, she would say, or she would do things that would help me um, develop or grow as, you know, as a scientist to become really, to prepare me as an assistant professor one day. Um, so I was mentored that way. And so since then, I've been writing the people who I wanted to work with for postdoc because I knew I needed to do a postdoc, right? And early on my fourth year, and during that time, I wasn't looking for a postdoctoral position yet. I don't have a CV written. <laughs> um, I attended a conference and I actually got an offer, uh, a postdoc offer from someone really great, you know, uh, that someone like, oh, this is like beyond my dreams, right? <laughs> kind of offer. And during that time, I almost wanted to accept, um, but um, I talked to my advisor, Amy who is really good at giving me advice, you know? Um, she's always the person I run to first every time I, I make like major decisions. And she said, or the advice that I, that stuck to me was, um, you've worked so hard on your PhD and I think you deserve to apply to the person you really wanted to work with, you know? And so we were in a hurry. And then during that time, she asked me like, okay, so who do you really wanted to work with? And Melanie Sandworth was like on the top. <laughs> So I was like, uh, what do, I was like, during that time, I, I did not really expect much that I'm going to get in. Um, and so I applied to Melanie and it took only two weeks, actually. Like in two weeks, I was already at Michigan being interviewed. And at the end of my interview, Melanie verbally told me about the offer and I said yes. So yeah, it was a very quick thing. That's why I think I was lucky. But at the same time, I think it's, uh, it's a result of working hard, right? Um, so I just thought that there's something that my advisor and Melanie saw in me, you know, that I deserve that a postdoctoral position there. Am I still answering the question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With respect to my experience at UMish, um, well, I was, Geraldo was there. Um, and I think Geraldo would describe me as someone who does not hang out much. <laughs> very hardworking. Very, very hardworking. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I guess because during that time, you know, I know my dream is to become an assistant professor. And I know I was already, you know, at the edge of, you know, like going for it, right? So this is it for me. It's like I have three years or two years left. And to me, I just wanted to do my best, right? So during that time, I actually kind of forgot <laughs> going out. <laughs> I kind of forgot, you know, exploring what's outside um, the laboratory. So I just work really, really hard. Um, and I think it paid off mm -hmm. really, really well. Um, yeah. So I did not really get to go out at Ann Arbor. Um, I know that there were gay bars. I, I never <laughs> been there. <laughs> I was actually, there was one time when I was about to leave that I heard about it. And then I was kind of mad that, oh, I was not invited. And then also I understood that, oh, they would not invite me because they would think I will not be interested. Um, but you're not, you're not missing much. You're not missing much. I'm sure Chicago is a much, a much more fun place to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. As a queer person. <laughs> yeah and so yeah I think I was just being working so hard and focused on what I wanted to do um 
And then I actually applied for a faculty position um, during that time. Unfortunately, I did not get the offer. Um, I did receive some interviews, but I did not get the offer in the end. So it was kind of disappointing. Um, and there were some sort of thoughts in my mind that, you know, what if I'll go somewhere else? And I actually started to hear some sort of invitations from, you know, pharmaceutical companies like that, that, oh, Christian, let us know of your plans <laughs> if you're still planning to pursue this, even before I applied, you know, um, because we're looking for someone um, in this company with their expertise and things like that. So I've always considered it. And then Melanie said, how about, actually, I made a decision that like, oh, I'm going to apply <laughs> to this invitation. And then Melanie said, how about, um, let's talk about it tomorrow. Like she just really wanted me to go over it, you know, and then I spoke to Amy Howell by phone about like what are the decisions and both of them just really said that, you know, you belong to academia, like we cannot see you somewhere else, <laughs> like that's their comment, like separately. Um, and I thought that, you know, I mean, if I'll wait for one or two more years as a postdoc, um, I think it's okay for me, right? Um, because I've been chasing this dream for so long and I've been working so hard for it. So, um, and so Melanie asked me if I wanted to stay or I wanted to go somewhere else or, and my final decision is like, oh, I wanted to learn something new, you know? Um, and so I went to University of Utah um, where I did um, electrochemistry with um, Shelly Mintier and uh, Matt Sigmund. And then with regards to the NIH um, pathway to independence, this is actually some sort of a blessing in disguise. Um, so when I was living, it was actually challenging moments of my life because when I moved from Michigan to Utah, I was waiting for a visa uh, application. So I need to, so my visa already expired and I need to get a completely different kind of visa. And we applied like nine months before that time. So it's already like past uh, the time that they should be sending the documents to me. And I arrived in Utah and there's still no visa. And then so I told Melanie, um, maybe I'll write a review, right, on things that I've done there. And she said, how about look for a fellowship if there is? <laughs> so in my mind, I was like, there's none, <laughs> right? Like, that's my automatic answer. And then she actually mentioned about it. It's like, oh, Christian, there's this NIH K99. I'm not really sure how it goes because I've never really known someone who had it before, but you might want to check it out. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is really difficult to get in because um, majority of the chemists who would receive it are people working on chemical biology kind of research. Right? Uh, it's very rare or it was hard for me to find someone who had it as an organic chemist, for example, um, unless they were doing a postdoc on chemical biology after being an organic chemist on their PhD. Um, those are the only people that I saw. So I did not expect much, but uh, I had time during while waiting for my visa to arrive. So I wrote it. Um, I applied and I even actually forgot about it that I applied. <laughs> so I've been working at Utah. And then I think it was already during the pandemic, right? Uh, the pandemic already started. Um, and then, so I did not know when's like, when do I receive an email from NIH or things like that. I just completely forgot about that. And then I just received an email from NIH about my score. So like, uh, what does this score mean, right? Because I was not really hoping too much that I would get it. And then, yeah, um, the score apparently was really great. <laughs> and then after I think another month, that's when I heard the confirmation that I received it. So it was some sort of a blessing in disguise that it happened. Um, but just to talk more about it, it's um, actually called Pathway to Independence, um, which means that they support you as a postdoctoral scholar. Um, so they 
pay pretty much um, your stipend and some research funds. And then after that, once you um, obtain a position as an assistant professor, there's going to be three years of NIH um, funding that you will receive. So. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Wow. So like, like you're starting your academic career, like with funding. That's so big. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. (laughs) I did not know that. That's really cool, Christian. That's so exciting. I think that that it existed at some point. So (laughs) what what is it called again? NIH what? Um, it's K99R00, um, okay. Pathway to Independence. Yeah, the R00 is your funding towards yeah. when you start your career, basically. So Perfect. Write that down, folks, so you can apply. <laughs> That's so, that's yeah. so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then actually a lot of people um, ask for advice on Twitter when, you know, like when I got it, ask for advice of like, oh, what, how should I, you know, apply and things like that. So I talked to pretty much about six or seven people, um, you know, and who are really, they're actually synthetic chemists as well, um, but trying to work on something new while they're as postdocs. So I think that they have chance of getting those. Um, and it was really uh, a great pressure, pleasure, you know, like to be able to share um, that experience um, and help them, you know, um, apply for that particular fellowship. So yeah, where are we? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, so I mean, that leads us perfectly into, so you you get this big, incredible funding from the NIH, and then you go on to start your academic career, this like culmination of what you've been working for your whole life, like very <laughs> inspirational like journey to get to this point. And so now you're at Northwestern University. First of all, congrats. Like we mentioned Thank earlier, you. like it's such an incredible accomplishment. And um, this is the you... other side of the lake. So visit me yeah. when it's warmer. <laughs> oh yeah, well, we'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of your second round of applying for jobs now that you're at Utah um, and then kind of why Northwestern felt like the right fit for you and what that mm-hmm. process has been like as a new professor? Actually, when I applied, um, it was during the pandemic. It was the first, I think, application period that the pandemic was already there. Um, And during that time, there's a lot of hiring freeze from universities. So I was actually wondering, should I just wait for the following year? Because when I look at how many openings during that time, it's almost like 70% off than the previous year, for example. So there's, and there's so many applicants, right? But I still applied because I already have materials um, from my previous application. I just had to like polish them and things like that. Um, and there's not a lot of schools during that time. So I only applied to, I think, 20, something like that, 19, 20. Um, and I think I was really lucky to receive some interviews and offers. The challenge during the application really was the uncertainty of how the interview is going to go because we did not know if it's going to be in person or by Zoom. So we just have to wait for like two weeks before the time until they tell you, okay, it's going to be by Zoom. And then it all turned out all the interviews were by Zoom. <laughs> and during that time, you are not confident, right? Um, projecting yourself or you are not really good at presenting by Zoom how you would respond to a question. Um, there were some challenges wherein like someone would ask question and then I did not really know who. So how would I respond if the person asking a question is a synthetic chemist or not, right? So because my answer would be different. (laughs) So that was one of the challenges. It's also really hard meeting the people because you during the interview you have to have usually um, one-on-one meetings, right? Um, 
with the faculty members, even with the students and all of those were done by Zoom. So it was really hard to connect or be able to show your personality um, as well as like learn things about them as well. So it, that was, I think, the challenge. And respect to um, joining Northwestern, I think there are multiple reasons why I chose Northwestern, um, but I think three outstanding reasons would be First, um, the research, of course, the research being done um, at Northwestern is just really great. They have so much facilities, um, centers, and institutes that I know it's going to be very helpful for the kind of research that I'll be doing. Um, and I'm already part of some of those centers early on, so I think that's really, really exciting for me and my students. Second reason was Chicago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was a third year grad student when I first visited Chicago. <laughs> And it was summer, so to be fair, it was summer. So it was really, really good during that time. And I love volleyball and international volleyball. They usually host it in Chicago area when the U.S. hosts. So I always come here almost every summer. When I was, especially when I was at Michigan, I come here every summer to watch volleyball. And I just fell in love with it the first time I saw Chicago. So I was very active on social media even when I was back in the Philippines. So. Facebook was like the kind of thing. Um, and I never really posted <laughs> my photos in Chicago because I was like, this is where I'm going to live. <laughs> this is where I'm going to work. So I'm going to save these photos. Um, that was like kind of the thought. So like, like I'm not a visitor here. Like that was like the idea. And so, yeah, I just fell in love with Chicago. And so when I got over nervous and I was extremely excited about it. And I think um, one of the biggest reason was you know, during your interview, you get to meet every, pretty much all the faculty members one-on-one. -on -one. And then once you get the offer, they will invite you for a second visit. And so, and during the second visit, it was already in person. So I got to meet um, about half of the faculty members, you know, in person, some of the students and some of the staff. And one thing that I really saw in them is the faculty seem to be, they just all love the department so much. Like, like you just can't, you just can feel it from them that they love the department, that they're going to do everything for the department to be great. So, and it's not really easy to find that in, in a lot of places, I believe. So that's so amazing that like you visited Chicago and you're like, this is going to be the place where like I'm going to live one day. Like this is the place for me. And then like you ended up there. That's so exciting. You manifested yeah. it. Manifestation yeah, is really. real. Yeah, <laughs> really. You did. Yeah, actually, um, my ex-partner um, back in the Philippines, um, he, he actually told me like, you've been to Chicago before. I said, no, like this is my first day in Chicago. Like when I was a third year guy. So I remember seeing you with a photo with this jacket. I was like, no. <laughs> and I, feel like, I felt like he just had a dream somehow too, you know, that, I was oh, in Chicago even yeah. before I visited Chicago for the first time. So, yeah, and I told that to him. I was like, oh, I reminded him that, okay, now I'm in Chicago and now I'm, I already live here. So, yeah, it was a dream you know, for me to live in a metropolitan, um, especially like downtown metropolitan, at least for a year. I just really wanted to experience that because that is something <laughs> I've never had <laughs> since I came here in the US. What do you mean? Arnarpa is like a metropolitan city. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Geraldo. Maybe I didn't see it because I was in the lab. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been to Detroit at some point. Um, <laughs> I'm just but... kidding. <laughs> Yeah, and then, I mean, Salt Lake City is actually a very beautiful city. Um, mm -hmm. like, I really love the city. Um, but I was there during the pandemic, so yeah. there's pretty much not much happening during that time, especially in my first year. So, 
so yeah, this is like a perfect topic to, you know, talking about you now you being a professor. So what do you hope to gain, you know, from being a professor, just passion that you have for, for mentoring other students, you know, and what are some goals that you have for your lab, you know, so, so far? Yeah, I like that question, Geraldo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as a starting assistant professor, um, obviously there's a lot of uncertainties, right? And if you ask someone for an advice, especially like senior faculty members, they would tell you, enjoy it, right? Have fun <laughs> while you are not tenured yet. <laughs> like but it's really hard to kind of do it the way they would advise, right? So that's kind of the challenge right now. With respect to research, of course, I just really want to have our research to um, progress. All the research proposals that I have, they don't really have to work, but I am hoping that my group, I mean, as a group, we would be able to find things that would be really interesting, um, that could be recognized internationally, but more importantly, um, be utilized in their respective applications, right? Be it for um, drug discovery purposes or in energy research. With respect to being as a mentor, um, I've mentored so many students before when I was a grad student and a postdoc. I think, Geraldo, you know that. Yeah, I think you were there when I was mentoring. Connor. <laughs> Pretty much like half of the mm -hmm. students being mentored during that time. Yeah. And to tell you honestly, Geraldo, I almost went to Melanie because I really wanted to mentor you. When you yeah, mentor me too. <laughs> I mean, that would have been yeah. great. I love Devin. Devin, wherever you are, I love you. But yeah. Wherever I mean, Devin is. Yeah. Because when you came in as an REU, right, I was like, oh, I wanted to work with Geraldo. But during that time, I was assigned with someone. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I heard that, oh, Geraldo is like joining Michigan. And then yeah. I was like, I should go to Melanie. Like, can I remember Geraldo? And the but you, just, you left that summer right before we started. So, yeah. yeah. And then I was, and I was also mentoring like multiple people during that time. So it's going mm -hmm. like, to be like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, but it was, you know, part of like the things that I really wanted to achieve during that time. But yeah, I've mentored so many students um, at UConn, you know, Michigan and Utah. And mentoring has been something I'm really passionate about um, because I really think that when I was an undergrad, I didn't really do research, you know. I only got inspired with the people who believed in me, right? And I think that now that I'm an assistant professor, I have that kind of privilege to be able to provide opportunities to any young student who would be who would show some sort of interest right or passion especially for students who who have different experiences right it's either because sometimes people would ask me like oh why did you decide to take this undergrad or something like that or why would you, how would you choose a grad student and things like that and to me diversity and inclusion is something that's really really important um, but I also value or view diversity in quite of a different way to me if you came from a small town um, which for example me as well I came from a small town um, that's that you'll have a very different experience mm -hmm. if you thought your career path was very different that you were not supposed to be a scientist to me that's also an experience which I also had right mm -hmm. um, so those are the things that I value a lot I'm providing opportunities for these students. Um, with respect to the goals in the lab, I think that um, I just really want the students to become independent thinkers and researchers. And more importantly, I think there's nothing more important for me to see my graduate students, you know, obtain their PhDs and become leaders and be able to, not that, not, not because that they don't want to, right? It's because I always believe that it's something 
that the society where they came from has labeled them to be. Um, now that as I'm as a professor, if I could provide that opportunity for these students to be able to go out there and establish themselves, you know, and some sort of take up a space in society um, and cement themselves. I think that's something that's really, really important for me as a mentor. That is so nice and so inspiring. Honestly, it's really sweet to hear you say that. So thank Thanks you for, thank you for that. <laughs> it's just been so great to like hear just kind of like the full circle of like, this has been your dream for so long. This has been something that you've been working on, gaining these skills of being a mentor, of like really championing, championing? Is that a <laughs> Is that a word? I like that. It sounds it sounds right. So yes. Um, <laughs> championing people from who come from a lot of diverse and different backgrounds to really excel in chemistry, I think. And like now you have the biggest like opportunity to do that through the role of being a professor, which is just so exciting. And can't wait to see like what comes out of your lab and, and everything in the years to Thank come. Yeah, I'm really excited too. My grad students are very excited. So yeah. Good, good. So um, one of the last questions that we have is the one that we ask everybody that we have on the show, who is your chemistry role model and why? And you can have more than one. More than one. Okay. Can I also do non-chemistry? <laughs> okay. Yes, of course, um, of course. Of course, the people I've worked with, all right, Amy Howell um, has always been my second mother. I always run to her every time I have a problem, every time I um, I need an advice on something. I think she's the perfect person um, to consult on that. Melanie, I think with Melanie, I learned so many things, especially of like thinking of a bold project, how to design an ideal way to solve that and try it in an ideal way. And if it doesn't work, which is most of the case, it doesn't, right? Um, prove that why that ideal way does, show that why that ideal way does not work and provide the best or second best way to do it and prove that, you know? I think my mom is very important role model for me. You know, when I was, I was young, I pretty much the experience of every gay person where I grew up because um, people are less educated from other places, right? So I was bullied a lot and, and my mom was the only person who would provide comfort, you know? And very recently, I think when I got the job, you know, one thing that really sinked into me as a person that I really idolized or as a role model was when I was early on in my high school, um, I met a pastor. During that time, I was just looking for someone to, you know, to talk to who would accept me, not judge me, you know, um, and someone who would protect me from the people who have done so many bad things about me, right? And there was this pastor who never judged me at all. And I think... When, so I joined the church. I was baptized in the church and I was very active and I learned so many things. I was shy, you know, I was shy during that time and I became comfortable with a lot of things. I, I, I became, I think, pretty much all the core values of humanity I learned um, from him or the church that I've been part to, you know, and these are the values that I apply to my life ever since. Because sometimes I ask like, why do I do this? Um, why do I think this way? Why do I behave this way? Um, why do I, how do I understand people? How do they act, right? And why do they do the things that they do? And I think it all evolves from the lessons that I've learned from the pastor that I've worked with. He probably won't be able to, you know, um, listen to this, but you know, um, it's Pastor Winston Garbida. Um, I owe you so many thanks and I hope that I'll be able to see you one day, so. Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's 
beautiful, honestly. Thanks, Arlotta. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, shock. I mean, the whole interview, you like shared so many like very personal things that we love listening to those and like hearing the stories. And that's why we do this because we want to share those stories. And so thank you for talking about everything that you, you know, you've told us and, and sharing your experiences. Yeah, I mean, this interview is actually, it's what made me thought about it because I never really thanked him, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt like when I left high school, because when I left high school, I lost communication with him. I went to Manila and I, yeah, that's just it, you know? I never really went back to like how things changed for me um, meeting him. So he was actually coming to our house, he visits our house because my dad was like a, he was, he, he always drinks, right? So he was like targeted by the pastor to like convert, but it was me who, you know, who found the calling <laughs> um, <laughs> or probably the person who needed more help during that time. Yeah. That's sweet. So really, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I guess our last question, just to finish our, our interview, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you? Anything yeah. I've been trying so hard to be active. <laughs> so I have a Twitter account, um, Christian Malapit. I, I'm not sure. I think it's C.A. Malapit. But I think if you search Christian Malapit, um, there's not a lot of people who has that name. Um, so you can easily find me. We'll <laughs> tag, we'll tag you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that common. I have a website, um, malapitlab.com. That's the um, website for the group um, where they can learn more about what we're doing. Um, they can learn more about our values and the people working in our group. So, yeah. And thank you again for this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show and for giving such an incredible interview and sharing some really just, yeah, incredible stories with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll make sure to share this show, this episode with Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see Melanie again. Um, yeah. Hopefully I can visit there one day. I mean, it's just really, really close. So. Yeah. That'd be Maybe nice. I can grab some chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> Borrow chemicals. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Grisha. Yeah. And, you know, wish you the best on your start of your career. We're so excited for you. We want to see everything that's coming out of your lap soon. So, yeah. Have thank a great you. rest of your night. Yeah. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. And thanks so much again. Bye. Yeah. Bye. This has been a really heavy last few weeks, so we want to take a moment to hold some space for those who are being affected by the horrible anti-trans legislation coming out of Texas and Idaho and countless other states right now. Our hearts are with those who will be most affected by these laws. Our hearts are also with all of those in Ukraine during this horrific war. We hope for safety and peace for all Ukrainians. Remember to fill out the nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at MFQCPod. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see you soon. Bye. Adios. Mm-hmm.